first reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 26. When you have entered the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that the Lord your God is giving you and put them into a basket. Then go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priests in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians ill-treated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. The second reading is from a letter from St. Paul to the Romans, chapter 10, and it's page 1137 in our Bibles. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, today is the first, as I said earlier, it's the first Sunday of Lent. And um, Lent is quite often a time when, when Christians kind of make a fresh start in their spiritual life, in their sort of relationship with God. And um, in our gospel reading, the parable of the, of the Pharisee and the tax collector, we hear about a man making a fresh start. And we read about a Pharisee and a tax collector who both went to the temple to pray. Now, the Pharisee would have been considered a, a good religious man who observed the Ten Commandments along with many other rules um, that were written in the Old Testament. And, and he says, God, I thank you. I'm not like other people, like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Meanwhile, the tax collector who was considered a traitor by his fellow Jews and hated because he squeezed taxes out of the local people, he prays differently. He says, he's so grieved by the state of his, of his own life, he feels so guilty about all the people that he's taken money from, he can't even look up from the ground. And he beats his chest and he says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And in this parable, unlike some where Jesus leaves us guessing. In this parable, Jesus doesn't leave us thinking. He, he comes straight out with a punchline in verse 14. And he says, I tell you, the tax collector went home justified before God, not the Pharisee. Justified, by the way, means being put right with God. It's a legal term, which is a bit like when a person is acquitted of a crime. Um, when they're found innocent, they are justified. Um, it, a good way to remember it is that the word justified means it's just as if I'd never done it. Do you like that? It's good, isn't it? It's just as if I'd never done it, justified. So Jesus says it's the tax collector that is put right with God. Now, why doesn't Jesus give his listeners a bit of time to work it out, as he often does with the other parables, to mull it over? Well, I think it's because his punchline, if you like, is so shocking, it's so counter-cultural to the people of his day that he was afraid they would simply just jump to the wrong conclusion. And the reason for that can be found in our Old Testament reading from the book of Deuteronomy, um, which will help us to understand why what Jesus said was so shocking. Because the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' last instructions, if you like, to the Israelites before he dies and before the people of Israel enter the promised land. And from verse 1, Moses says, When you've entered the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce of the, from the soil on the land that the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket and, jumping on ahead a bit, Give the basket to the priest and he will offer it to God. So he's saying, take some of the first things from the harvest and everything you do or make and give it to God. 
It's a description of the practice that came to be known as tithing, when all God's people were encouraged to give one-tenth of all they produced um, to the priest as a thank you to God. And any devout religious Jew in those days would give one-tenth of his produce, uh, in other words, a tenth of his income, to the priests. And the priests would keep it, some of it to live off, because they had no other means to live, and the rest they would give to the poor and the widows and the orphans and the foreigners who had no way of making any money. It's actually a principle, of course, upon which the church works today. The cost of the priest today, if you like, that's me, the vicar. The cost of, that's my salary and the vicarage and the cost of the buildings here and, and the cost of our mission. All of that is paid 100% by church-going people in Reading. There's no other source of income. It's paid by God's people. At St. Matthew's, we're fortunate enough to be subsidised currently by many of the other churches in Reading who, who pay a, a, a sort of a bigger share because while we're still quite small and we're growing... Um, we, we need to have that help. But the aim is for the people of God to support all the work of the church. And so I know you won't mind me saying that I'm quite a fan of that idea. Um, it seems like quite a, good, quite a good thing to do. Otherwise, we wouldn't have any full-time vicars or any paid staff and no money for mission. Anyway, back to the point. The giving of a tenth of one's produce to God was a God-inspired Moses command which any good Jew would have expected to obey and practice in those days. Now, if we fast forward back to the, fast forward back to the gospel story, here's a Pharisee who does give a tenth of all his produce compared to the tax collector who has ripped off hundreds of people. Why on earth should the Pharisee not get the credit for his giving? Why is it the tax collector who is justified? It doesn't seem fair, does it? Well, the reason is that this story isn't a story about money and how much a person gives. And it's not a story about how well people keep the rules. It's a story about grace and about faith. We aren't justified by giving money or keeping the rules. And anyway, the Pharisees' giving wasn't faithful giving in truth, was it? It was prideful giving. He was standing there looking down on everyone else, proud of what he was doing. And Jesus is explaining that we're only put right with God, justified through faith and by the grace of God. You see, some of the Pharisees in Jesus' day had lost the whole point of this tithing, this giving. They thought they had to do it in order to earn God's approval. But if we look back again at the passage in Deuteronomy we'll see that giving is not a way to earn God's love. It's actually a love response to God's saving grace. If, we look at, if you look at the passage from Deuteronomy in verse 5, um, and this is, remember, we're now back, it's in the context of people bringing that, that first fruits, that 10% of their, first 10% of their produce. And, uh, and, and what they had to say when they brought it, they put it down in front of the priest and they, they had to stand there and say, Tell the story, if you like, of their people. My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down to Egypt with a few people, lived there, became a great nation, powerful and numerous. 
But then the Egyptians ill-treated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice, saw our misery, toil, and oppression. And so he brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror and with signs and wonders, he brought us to this place, a land flowing with milk and honey, and now I bring the first fruits of all the Lord has given me. This is what they were to say. So do you see, it's a love response to what God has already done. He saved them and made them his people. It's a faith response by those who believe in a loving God who has rescued them. It's not a way of earning ourselves into God's favour, and it was never meant to be. And Jesus is pointing out that the tax collector, who has recognised his own deeply sinful life, knows that he can never earn his way to God. And so he does the only thing left open to him, and the one thing which is needed. He throws himself on God's mercy and confesses his need of him. The Pharisee, though, he gives out of pride. Thank God I'm not like the tax collector. And then we hear Jesus' pronouncement, saying that it's the tax collector who is justified and not the Pharisee. And it's so easy for us to to hear that story and think, oh, well, we're not like that. We're not like the Pharisee, are we? That's not me. But let's be honest with ourselves. Are we nearer to the man who beats his chest and says, God, have mercy to me, a sinner? Or, Or are we inclined to think, Oh, I'm glad I'm not like that person. They're a bit ungodly. You know, I'm, I'm much better than they are. Do, do, we, do we think those thoughts? Let's be really honest. Because we need to be honest. Because if we don't face up to our own spiritual condition, we will never change it. And if our spiritual condition is unjustified, like the Pharisee, rather than justified, like the tax collector, that has eternal consequences for us. It's, it's, a, it's not just a fatal condition, it's an eternally fatal condition. But the news is good. The, the news is, is, in fact, it's so good that Paul the Apostle spells it out for us at least five times in just a few verses in the passage we heard read from his letter to the church in Rome. So let's finish by having a look at that. In verses 8 and 9 of of Paul's letter, he says, This is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. In other words, here is the good news. It's as follows. And here it comes in verse 9. This is good news, version 1. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that word saved is like the word justified. If you believe you'll be saved. It's through faith. Verse 10, good news, version 2. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Do you see? There's no earning your way to God. It's about faith. Um, Verse 11, good news, version 3. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. In other words, they'll be put right with God. Verse 12, good news version 4. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Everyone's the same, in other words. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Who called on him? The tax collector did. Verse 13, good news version 5. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I think Paul's saying, hopefully, by now we've got the message. Five times in a row he repeats it. That salvation is through faith, it's not through being good enough. How many times do we fall for the age-old lie of the devil that somehow we have to be good enough? That somehow we have to earn our way into God's favour, like that Pharisee thought? Paul tells us over and over again, we're justified by faith. The Pharisee really only shows us, well, probably the way to hell. Because, can you imagine it? Have I done enough to please God? Have I kept his rules well enough? Um, Am I good enough? How will I ever know if I'm good enough? You know, I'm sure I've done quite well, but is it enough? That would be hell, wouldn't it? Worrying like that. The good news of the gospel is we aren't good enough. None of us are good enough. We are sinful. We can never be good enough, however hard and however long we try. But because God loves us so much, Jesus came and took our place and sacrificed his perfect life on the cross so that we, if we put our trust in him, will be justified by his grace. His, that's sheer, amazing, beautiful grace. And that's what the tax collector knew deep down. The only place to go was to God and to be saved by his grace. And I, I hope, I mean, if anyone here this morning um, is worried about what I've said, worried that your heart, or my heart, might be nearer to the Pharisees than the tax collectors, then be encouraged that that worry is a positive sign that God's Holy Spirit is speaking to you and calling you to reflect. And when you come for communion in a few minutes' time, it's a really good opportunity to throw yourself, as it were, back on God's grace. As you take the bread today... Just ponder for a moment the body of Jesus, what Jesus went through, his sacrifice, in order to make us right with God. And as you drink the wine, consider the blood that he shed for each one of us in your heart. And as you take them, you might want to echo silently the words of the tax collector. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because when we do that, and we mean it, he forgives us and he cleanses us, and he restores us back into his family, and his Holy Spirit puts his love and his peace back into our hearts. So let's make Lent a fresh start. Amen.